Hello, and welcome to the Crystal Tablet Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersections between politics and spirituality. I'm your host, Tola Brennan. This is also the first ever episode of Crystal Tablet. It is also my 31st birthday that I'm recording this, um, which is October 19th of the year 2021. So, in a way, this first episode is a little bit of a birthday present, in a way. Um, I've been thinking about this podcast and wanting to start it for uh, probably close to two years, and uh, there's been some sort of nascent form of um, crystal tablet. It's had different names, it's had different presentations, and, you know, the intention has been loosely the same. I think there's a, a little bit of a, of a development that has happened over the last two years that I would say that crystal tablet being what this is and what it intends to become is the byproduct of, of where I arrived as, a, as someone who um, has a, a view and experience of the world and has uh, spent, um, I believe, you know, a good amount of time, I would say at least 10 years, uh, but depending on how ambitious I want to be about uh, tracing some of the origins of my point of view into my past, I could say as much as, um, I don't know, maybe even 20 years. I think that some of the things that are... Um, emerging here, they really do start very early on. And it's, it's only, um, it's only, it's only recently that I can really, um, you know, kind of pinpoint that more fully though. It's, it's been thought about on and off being like, how did I get to be someone with this point of view? Anyway, enough about me. Um, we're here to talk about the intersections of politics and spirituality. We're not here to talk about the biography of your podcast host, but, um, you know, it, it is, a, it's a podcasting is a medium that has been a part of my life for 10 years and, um, it really shapes who I am. And, and I have a lot of, um, a lot of faith and, 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 and love for the, the medium of podcasting. It feels very personal and with some of my podcasts, uh, my favorite podcasts that I listen to, there's a certain kind of um, intimacy and friendship that I feel, um, I really really feel connected in a lot of ways to the people who create podcasts that I find the, the most transformative and moving. And, and there, there's something about um, feeling like you know someone. And so I think being personal and, and being who you are and, and, and being vulnerable and, and, and sensitive to what you're feeling and you know that there's a there's an informality about podcasting that I don't I don't want to I don't want to um lose you know I think that I can also put on a more um formal portrayal and I think that uh, we'll see we'll see what happens I think that there's a, a little bit of a both and there's a room there's room for both I do think however that a certain level of formal structure and um, having engaging guests is something that I um I think is really important. So uh, a podcast is not a opportunity just to hang out, you know? And so I think that in doing this initial episode where it is just me talking, um, I, I hope to make this be um, an exception. In general, I would like to have a lot of exciting conversations with um, people that, that um, hope, hopefully will, will stimulate some, some really exciting possibilities in, in, in the world. I, you know, and there's some, there's some ambition here. You know, I think that, uh, what, what I'm getting at, I hope to persuade you, the listener, um, is something that I think is really critical. It's really important. And that is why I've been um, driven to start this podcast. And without uh, further ado, I want to kind of get into the, the nitty gritty and the meat of uh, what is Crystal Tablet? Why would you want to listen to this podcast? What is it about? 
what are some of the things that you might take away? And also, you know, what is the point of view? There is a point of view. And I want to just kind of be um, transparent about what that is, where I'm coming from. And I change as a person. Everyone changes, but some more than others. And I try to remain open to uh, a shift in my worldview. But I also want to be clear that um, there's a there's a there's a thesis, there's a premise, there's a a way of seeing things that is uh, fundamental to what uh, what I'm uh, getting on with here. So when I say um, Crystal Tablet is a podcast about the intersections of politics and spirituality, okay, well, let's just start there. What do we mean by that? With politics, um, for me, that means loosely just um, the way in which we structure the social order that we, we share. Uh, for me, that is um, inclusive of the more theoretical side of things, right? So a political ideology. And it's also inclusive of, um, you know, the everyday policy choices that our uh, electeds are making supposedly uh, representing us. And, and why is it that we have the system that we do, you know, that and, and how does it work, right? I think all that has to do with politics. And so politics is really a very broad and expansive category that in a way uh, it can relate to practically every aspect of um, how we share how we share space with each other what, what does it mean to be in a society well the answer the answers and the, the questions both to me uh, come from some form of politics and, and so it's uh, can be a lot of different things but I think that's loosely how I think of it a second point is that uh, of course I have my own politics I am a democratic socialist and I think that um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not always a democratic socialist. Uh, strictly speaking, I think there's some other uh, perspectives that I remain open to, and I, I don't want to. Um, I don't think I'm, I don't want to be defined strictly by a label. But if I had to uh, really summarize my perspective, I think democratic socialism is probably um, pretty close to to my view of the world today and, and how we could improve it. And I think that that is something that. Um, brings up something that is in, important about politics is that um, that kind of idea of, of how things could be better, right? I think that's that there's an inspirational, aspirational um, angle to politics, which I think that, um, you know, is part of the reason why I'm drawn to something like democratic socialism. And um, while we're at it, you know, if I was going to define what socialism means to me, um, in a nutshell, I would say that it's simply a society that cares about people, right? How could we have a society, a social order, that genuinely attempts to um, care about people? And I think that um, the simplest ways in which that can be defined or represented and, and, and justified is, as a, uh, you know, this is actually what we're doing and working, is, is addressing some really fundamental issues. And that, and that is, um, you know, um, healthcare, of course, housing, uh, wages. Um, job security. It is, um, you know, education. It's a lot of the really the basic things that um, if they're not there, it's very difficult to um, live a life uh, that is not uh, extremely strained and difficult. And so uh, access to uh, drinking water and sanitation and uh, what is the infrastructure that is available and how is that, how is that put together and, and um, what, are, what are the costs? Who can afford it? Right, um, all those kinds of things I think are are very fundamental to both um, why it is that someone who uh, wants to make the world a better place would be involved in politics. To me, at least, that that is uh, where I go with it. And to me, um, 
Socialism is the is the obvious answer to that. I think that there might be other answers, but it feels the most practical. It feels the most achievable, and um, it's something that I could see happening in our lifetimes actually pretty quickly uh, if there is a political will to make it possible. And I think that um, you know it's it's not necessarily uh, the perfect system. You know, I think there's some some issues that I have, especially in terms of. Um, things moving in a direction that feels a bit more authoritarian. And I think that there are some challenges, uh, especially around things like the Green New Deal and, and how that might be implemented, where, um, I don't know, there, there are some, some challenging questions around uh, personal freedoms uh, compared with, um, you know, survival and well-being of uh, the collective. And I think that um, there are moments where it is not, uh, um, it's not straightforward, it's not obvious, and I find myself conflicted. However, I don't really want to spend too long on this. I think that it'll come up uh, thematically on and off. Um, so that's politics, right? Sure. I'm, I'm sure that I could say a lot more about uh, what politics is to me and, and how it relates to this particular series of conversations. But uh, just keeping things right to the point, um, that's politics, right? Um, when I say spirituality, uh, let's define that a little bit. What do we mean by spirituality? So uh, the way that I think of it, and there are a few scholars of spirituality who I think have um, said something very similar. Um, I can't recall, uh, Mitch Horowitz, who's uh, somewhat well-known in this, this field, in this conversation, has a book called Occult America. And it um, goes into the history of spirituality in the United States in a good amount of detail. I was also reading a book um, around the same time that also talked about the history of spirituality in the United States in particular. So um, I might be blurring some of the details here, but um, so it, this is my own point of view, but it's sort of a paraphrase of some of the writing that has been done, kind of looking at this history. And uh, while spirituality has a significant number of, of sometimes um, not overlapping meanings, and it means something very different to different people, and it is also a word that can be very personal, right? It is a representation of things that, um, you know, sometimes touch the, the deepest parts of who we are. So, um, you know, of course, it means a lot of things, but just for the purposes of starting somewhere that is, you know, um, not a bad jumping off point, this is a definition that I'm about to give that I actually personally kind of, uh, I like for a number of reasons, and I think that it makes sense. So spirituality, in my view, at least paraphrasing a little bit uh, some of the sources that I mentioned and others, is largely everything that doesn't fit into these two kind of poles that um, orient um, a lot of the world. And uh, one of those, as you can probably guess, is um, religion, monotheistic religion in particular. And, and let's just say, uh, to be clear, we're talking about, you know, conventional religion, and, and that is meant, uh, by that is meant, um, you know, some kind of a clergy, a priesthood, and then uh, people who uh, look to those um, leaders to be um, the intermediaries between themselves and the divine, right? So in a conventional religious setting, um, you know, in large part, uh, you turn to a priest of some kind who's your sort of um, interpreter for um, God, who is represented in, of course, uh, some ways that, that uh, can be, um, can feel a little bit, a little bit constrained. Um, so conventional religion, right? That's, uh, I think, you know, if you look at the numbers of um, just, you know, people who are alive today, I think we, lo we, we still uh, live in a world that um, has, I think it has far more religious believers than um, 
you know, the population of the secular world, right? So, so even today in a time that can feel very secular, uh, just based on the numbers, I'm pretty sure we have a lot more people who are, you know, devoted to whatever their religion is. Um, of course, you know, uh, a lot of times this can be so uh, intertwined with what we often describe as culture that um, it might be um, difficult to really kind of be uh, really clear about, you know, what do we mean by that um, if, if there's some kind of a slicing and dicing of the numbers. But um, so religion, right, uh, that occupies and drives forwards and defines the, the, the worldview and the life experience of many, many people. And then the other one that um, I think also you can probably guess is um, sort of science in the secular world. And it's a world that, uh, of course, emerges in Europe about four or 500 years ago and is defined by um, more and more a separation uh, away from sort of the, the religious past and an embrace of the world that is defined by technology and industry. And, and um, increasingly, science is the sort of um, primary sort of interpretive framework that uh, gives meaning and, and organizes the way that we um, interpret the reality around us. Generally speaking, we can describe this scientific viewpoint as materialism. Uh, there are definitely some um, distinctions and there is some deviation, but in large part, the scientific worldview is a uh, materialistic worldview, which uh, we'll come back to what that word means and, and what is the context and uh, how is that deployed? Because it, it can be used uh, in all kinds of debates, uh, which this podcast is uh, sure to become embroiled in at least some of at some point. So um, the scientific secular world and the religious world are these two uh, sort of formative social forces that um, I would say are the two the two big drivers and the pillars of the world that we live in today, right? Uh, in some way or other, uh, the worldview of, of most people, I would say, is is shaped uh, pretty heavily by, by one of those two uh, contexts, right? Either you grew up with religion or you didn't. Um, and so there's, you know, the atheist or the agnostic position. And then there's um, being involved in uh, various kinds of uh, religious practices, uh, whether that means you go to a church or a synagogue or a mosque or something else. Um, that is, uh, that, that's who you are. That's a big part of, of your worldview and your belief, right? So um, those, those two things exist. And spirituality, um, in a lot of ways, I think is just, well, everything that doesn't fit into those two categories, right? It's uh, beliefs and it's practices. Uh, and it's and it's uh, people who, who neither want to be part of uh, institutionalized religion and also are unsatisfied or reject for any number of reasons, uh, sort of an atheistic or an agnostic framework. Now, this is not to say that you can't be uh, functionally atheist and still very spiritual. I don't want to, um, I don't want to, um, I don't want to exclude people who, who, um, might very well uh, relate to the word spirituality. And, and, and I think that one of the things that defines spirituality also is that it's self-directed. Um, people who define themselves as spiritual, I think, uh, more often than not, have gone on some kind of personal journey to arrive at the view that they arrive at uh, and, and that they think of as spiritual. So I think that, that's something that we can say is, is, is pretty, um, pretty common, a big part of what makes spirituality be what it is. But even before we get to that uh, sort of self-defining characteristic and why that is, I think the, the important thing is that it, 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 it sort of is in this middle ground, right? It's between and it's neither, and it has elements of both. 
but really it's just a lot of things that don't quite fit into the institutional uh, context of um, the academy and the scientific and uh, educational institutions. And it also doesn't fit into the um, institutions of religion either. Now, uh, one important uh, caveat here, of course, is that especially in the East, right, a lot of the things that we think of as spirituality have their origins in um, Buddhism and Hinduism. And so, um, especially as it relates to sort of the these things that we call Hinduism, of course, Hinduism is a set of isms. It's not uh, a singular ism. Uh, but that's something that I, uh, not being a fully qualified religious scholar, sort of um, want to hold off on, on uh, saying too many things about, uh, lest I say things that are um, inaccurate. But um, just from a, a rudimentary understanding, my, my understanding is that, um, you know, it, it's a collection of practices. It's not a, a monolith. So especially there, of course, you know, some of the things that we think of as spirituality uh, or relating to spirituality, yoga, for example, um, obviously could be thought of as in some ways part of a religion, right? So um, with any of these categories and definitions, there are going to be many exceptions. I don't think that there's any kind of all-inclusive category that just um, does the work and, and is neat, right? It's all kind of messy and it's all trying to uh, find a way to simplify some genuinely very deeply complicated and confusing issues. So, um, of course, there are going to be some uh, challenges to uh, finding finding neat definitions, but uh, I'm making an effort here in an attempt just to kind of um, get get some, some foundational things out of the way. And uh, I think there's a uh, two different approaches. One, uh, how is spirituality not religion, right? And then how is spirituality not part of um, sort of the contemporary secular world? Now, um, the distinction between spirituality and religion, I think, has to do with, as I mentioned before, the intermediaries, right? That's one part of it. But it's uh, also important to note that in, uh, especially in the monotheistic religions, there is a place for um, more immediate um, apprehension or participation or connection to the divine. And so that is typically referred to as mysticism. And so that would be Sufism in Islam, and there's a, a sort of Christian mysticism, and there's Kabbalah. And so inside of the monotheistic religions, there there has been a place for um, people to uh, more directly relate to the divine. Um, I think that uh, spirituality can often approach the um, the same sets of priorities and desires, right, to get some kind of real feedback, you know, what, what uh, from asking the, the bigger, bigger, bigger questions of life, right? Like, um, why am I here? What is there a life after death? Or, um, you know, what really is the, the universe? Uh, where did it come from? Right? These are the questions that, of course, uh, are, are typically addressed by philosophy. Now, um, at first, philosophy was something that I was uh, persuaded to uh, really look at seriously, and I did. And um, there are some very specific reasons why I ultimately decided that uh, philosophy is foundationally and fundamentally insufficient and um, really just based on the way that it currently operates is never going to give any kind of a meaningful answer to any of these questions. Uh, And in fact, it is um, sort of... um, necessary to leave behind a lot of the sort of contemporary philosophical thinking. Of course, um, someone's going to disagree with me by making that 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 point, and that's okay. I am here for uh, disagreements. I just know that in my own life, um, it's not to say that I didn't first look at philosophy. Uh, I, I had a period in high school where I was uh, sort of existential. Uh, you know, I've gone through other phases, and, and there are definitely some uh, points of view and some ideas that come from philosophy that I, I think can be really... Um, 
interesting. Uh, there's a, you know, this is much later in life, but there's a book by Michel Foucault, uh, who's, you know, kind of a, a fancy philosopher who writes these thick books and, uh, you know, is kind of a, a hip name to, to drop, I suppose. I haven't really been in a place where dropping Foucault would, 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 uh, be hip, but, uh, you know, uh, trying to give some kind of context for Foucault, I guess, for, for, uh, I don't know, people who, who may have not heard of the name or whatever. Um, and if you have heard of Foucault, then maybe you're, you're snickering or laughing at me or, or thinking you got it totally wrong, or maybe I hit, hit it on the nail. Anyway, um, you know, Foucault has a book that I, that I read a number of years ago. Of course, it was assigned to me. Uh, I didn't independently pick it up. It was his first published book, and it was deeply, deeply formative, and I think that it's still one of his um, most interesting uh, pieces of writing. Um, I haven't finished another uh, Foucault book because they are, they are quite long. But um, so, of course, you know, the fact that I think of myself primarily as someone who um, works in, in, and thinks in, in the context of uh, metaphysics, um, which I'll come back to and define a bit more and, and clarify what is meant by that. It's not that I didn't have a period of, of um, being persuaded and interested in philosophy. Um, it just it uh, it stopped it stopped doing much for me, and uh, eventually I moved on. And I, I think that uh, I wish more people could uh, make that jump. And um, I do think that it genuinely is a progression. And at some point, I think that I will, um, maybe not in this episode, at some point, I think I can give a pretty clear reason, um, or a set of reasons, even better, a persuasive argument for, for why that is the case, um, and maybe encourage some people to um, take that, that little leap, go beyond philosophy, think about the world in a little bit of a different way. Anyway, I got uh, totally caught on this uh, little tangent here. I get um, caught into tangents pretty often. So I'm sure we'll see it happen again. But uh, coming right on to the track, getting right back to that core point. In conventional monotheistic religions, there is a place for uh, mystical experience, uh, which you can find a lot of uh, writing about. And uh, there's sort of a, a unitive or an ecstatic state. There's a, a, in Sufism, the divine is referred to as the beloved. Uh, if you've heard of the poetry of Rumi, right, that is often addressed to the beloved. And so, you know, there's a there's a very visceral, emotional, deep, profound connection that mystics have with um, what we would call the divine or God or, or uh, oneness. Um, I think that... Um, while that is the case, I think there's a little bit more of a, a wanting to know, and there's a little bit more of a, of a wanting to kind of forge your own path that I think is part of um, what makes spirituality be spirituality. And so, um, you know, within the conventional religious framework, right, there is this sort of mystical path. And I think the mysticism of uh, monotheism absolutely does play a role in shaping and forming and influencing spirituality. And they're not separate things. But I think spirituality has its own sort of um, way way of approaching things. And it is pretty different, right? I think that as a as a as a resident of the, the everyday modern world, uh, we're simply not mystics. I mean, I guess some people can be and some people try to be. But um, if you're living a, a an everyday life in inside of uh, Western capitalism, uh, you're probably not a mystic, and uh, you know you might be most of the way there. But it's it's uh, it's a bit hard to juggle both, right? So there's a certain kind of um, I don't know having to uh, get by with uh, at the a slightly different set of um, challenges and opportunities. Anyway, I hope that kind of clarifies a little bit how spirituality is is. Um, you know, overlaps with religion, but it really is, uh, it's different. 
Uh, and I hope that the, the differences will, will become more and more apparent and um, hopefully we'll get a little bit closer to something that feels like a tangible definition of spirituality and then we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, spirituality and sort of secular world, right? Where, where are the separations? Um, why, why are they different things? Um, one of the examples that I'd like to use is the uh, novel Frankenstein by uh, Mary Shelley, right? A lot of us have read Frankenstein, and I reread it um, not so long ago, a few years ago, and I was really blown away because it really, it really just gets right at this, this, this separation, and it's very fascinating. If you if you read the beginning of Frankenstein with this uh, particular um, set of ideas in mind, I think it becomes really apparent, and it's it's it was a profound profound shift. It totally was not apparent to me when I first read the book when I was in high school, whenever that was. And um, so uh, the reason why Frankenstein is such a wonderful example is it really illustrates this sort of um, the world before and the world after. And so um, in the beginning of Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, um, you know, he's talking about living in this world that is defined by the steam engine and, and by technology. And there's this whole, you know science is going to finally answer all the questions that we've been wondering about. And, and in the sort of past, in that past world, there's this world of um, superstition and of alchemy of, of um, the time that came before, right? And, and in Frankenstein, you really vividly get the sense of these two worlds and how this sort of new sort of scientific glistening sort of, we're going to figure it all out. And, and, and we're, we're most of the way there, this kind of, um, uh, the, the sense of, of acquiring this this deep and fundamental knowledge and, and also power over the universe, right? I think these two things are connected. Uh, and in industrial capitalism and science, I think, have a lot of, um, you know, commonalities in a lot of ways. And I think we'll kind of get there and, um, you know, sort of give you a hint of, of uh, where I stand with some of these things. Um, in any case... Frankenstein, um, you know, part of where he sort of um, derives the capacity to reanimate a corpse, right, to do this thing that is um, sort of very weird and, and magical, it's, it's reaching into this alchemical past. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it's particularly in the beginning of the book, you kind of just, you get a sense of these two different worlds. And I think that's that's the thing that I really think is is um, amazing about it. It is an example. I don't know if I'm doing the best job of, of communicating the palpability of that, but if you read, especially the first forty or fifty pages, you really kind of get the sense of um, that was when it happened, right? That's when it was like in living memory, right? And in our living memory, we're like, oh yeah, I remember when people had like telephones, right? Uh, depending on what you age you are, right? There, there's the before and after with cell phones, right? There's landlines, and now there's uh, iPhones and Androids, right? Um, Frankenstein is written. In, in a little bit of a, a similar kind of context where it just feels like from the writing, there's like this before, right? Back before this kind of advent of this sort of scientific uh, revolution and this industrial revolution. And then there's like, they're in the midst of it. It's just beginning, right? And there's really a sense of, of, of transformation in, in the collective psyche. Um, and I think that... Um, you know, that's one one example. And then another example that will come up very often in terms of where is there a fork is it's kind of that point where, you know, at one point, it, um, astrology and astronomy were the same thing. And at a certain point, they're not. And, um, you know, I don't want to uh, go too deep into this particular example, because it gets kind of thorny. And I'd have to make uh, citations and references to things that frankly, I've not read or read fully. And it's been a long time since I've really kind of gone down this this deep dive of the, 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 the sort of separations uh, between, um, you know, the emerging scientific viewpoint and how that has gradually um, let go of, released, and ultimately suppressed some of the spiritual and religious kinds of um, inspirations. Uh, 
and and influences uh, and to get to I think by around 1900 we have a pretty clear distinction of the sort of the roles in which these 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 different forces play. Um, so uh, spirituality has, uh, of course, you know, played a pretty significant role in um, U.S. history, and, and I won't go into that. But there are some books, Occult America being one, that will kind of um, open up uh, some of those those um, those uh, ta- ex- examples from long ago that that um, are pretty interesting. It's also a, a kind of a, a niche interest, I suppose. So I don't want to go and get too too um, caught up in, in in giving those examples. But I will say that uh, in particular, the sort of spiritualist movement for me was uh, incredibly fascinating and really um, answered just so many questions that I had about um, spirituality and how it exists in um, in, in the world today. Uh, and how did, how did we get there? And I think that the late 19th century, um, it really, uh, just personally, it answered a lot of questions and it was uh, a lot of aha moments of like, oh, I understand now why this is how we talk about these things. Why is it that we have these kinds of um, existing mindsets and and sort of default or uh, reactionary kinds of responses to certain kinds of phenomenon? A lot of that has to do with, um, you know, paranormal uh, sort of phenomenon and ghosts and, and what have you. But I think that there's a, there's a commonality of response across a lot of things that sort of don't fit in. And spirituality is uh, not the same as sort of paranormal phenomenon, but there's a, there's a, there's a connection there and there's some overlap. So, um, you know, I want to kind of treat these things separately because they, they, they deserve um, a certain level of, of separation because they're, they're not all the same thing, but, but ultimately the, the connections are probably more significant than the differences. Uh, but just for now, for the sake of definition, let's just uh, put this aside. Anyway, so I think that um, in, in, in very loosely kind of suggests, you know, some of the things that maybe you're already familiar, but, um, it, you know, spirituality in some ways derives from and draws upon that sort of alchemical past. And, and we can get deeper into things like the perennial philosophy, which is a term that some people may be familiar with. Uh, we could also talk about sort of the, the, the broader strokes history of Western occultism, which also plays a pretty big role. So, you know, there's a lot of different uh, threads that we can kind of tease apart. We can also talk about, I think, uh, another thing that I think is very interesting is just, um, you know, when I first learned about this, it was another kind of aha, a very a very exciting moment when I started to understand that um, Christianity is not monolithic. I didn't I didn't grow up with Christianity in my life, uh, and I, I, I have kind of, you know, got to learn a little bit about it from the outside. And when I kind of understood that Christianity is not monolithic and, and has this really interesting history that many people don't know about, and, and that actually there's a time before Christianity um, really was codified, and 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 at the beginning of Christianity, um, there are a lot of competing sects, and um, you know the Gnostic sect in particular has um, has had a set of resurgence of interest uh, recently, uh, but there are heretics, right? And and, and there is a lot of um, a lot of um, oppression and and tamping down on, on uh, a variety of different uh, Christianities and. Until we finally get to this um, this one Christianity that's the only one and can be used as a basis for um, some some pretty um, atrocious historical phenomenon without uh, getting into the weeds of, of, of you know what, what we're talking about which is you know colonialism you know and other things but uh, just starting there uh, that already gives you um, you know a good amount to to look at as far as doing really um, cruel cruel things to to other human beings. Anyway, not to get uh, too caught up on that one in particular, uh, I think that uh, coming back to the main thread, um, I think that 
one thing that uh, we can kind of, you know, teasing things up into the present day pretty quickly just to, to you know, not get too too much in these, these long historical detours. I think context is important, but, um, you know, it, it, getting too far into the context and it, it starts to become a little bit of a, of a special interest kind of thing. And I, I want to keep it, keep it engaging for, for whoever it is who might be listening to this first episode of the podcast. Okay, so um, getting really, really quickly caught up. Um, the last thing that I mentioned that I think gives us a little bit of a historical anchor is um, spiritualism, which was a movement that really took root. And, uh, you know, spirituality and spiritualism, not the same thing. Spiritualism is a specific movement that uh, really had a lot to do with um, speaking to the dead uh, using seances. And there's a lot more that can be said about spiritualism, but um, it, it was extremely popular. And uh, many, many people uh, at a certain point, let's say like 1880, for example, um, I think something like one in 10 Americans were uh, spiritualists. So it, it kind of had a, it's one of those things that was massively popular. A lot of people were spiritualists. A lot of seances were happening all over the country. A lot of people were deeply fascinated by the prospect of speaking to a deceased relative through uh, some form of mediumship. And then um, for a number of reasons, it kind of collapsed and the movement sort of fizzled out and it was um, replaced and succeeded by uh, theosophy. Uh, The founders of of the theosophical movement actually met at a a spiritualist seance, I believe in 1870. And um, Theosophy uh, sort of, to me, uh, laid the groundwork for uh, a lot of uh, the spirituality that we take for granted these days. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of um, debt that if you're someone who's inspired by any part of spirituality, I think we owe a lot to the the early theosophists, especially when they were starting out um, what they were doing. And um, I I recently became a member of the uh, Theosophical Society of America. And... um, you know, there are a number of reasons for that. I, I'm still ambivalent about uh, the extent to which I might be uh, persuaded to become more more involved or, or feel like I want to run towards being part of an organization. I think that an organization in general, uh, it, it's... Uh, I want to feel comfortable before I get too involved. But, um, you know, I kind of felt like it was a way to uh, solidify, uh, you know, my belief that theosophy still is is, is probably the last time that there's been a really uh, coherent um, attempt to sort of do a, a bit more of an institutionalized approach of, of, of um, looking at some of these kinds of uh, interesting phenomenon and questions that come up in the course of, of going on a spiritual journey. And I think, I think there really hasn't been a whole lot. And I think that it's, it's a real tragedy that there hasn't really been a successor. But I also think that um, what the theosophists were doing at the around, around the turn of the century um, really set a pretty high bar. And um, because our, our society and our, our culture has moved in such a materialistic direction, um, and because there's such a rejection of, of many things that are um, def- de- defining of spirituality in, in the context of the academy, and because there's not really a lot of um, space given to a lot of these things in uh, sort of conventional religion, um, there really hasn't been, um, there's really nothing else, right? There's not really a lot of other um, existing contexts where there could be a coherent group of people who are um, really very serious about exploring some of these kinds of spiritual questions. Now, uh, it wouldn't be right not to mention that, um, of course, uh, succeeding theosophy, uh, Rudolf Steiner and, and uh, anthroposophy, uh, certainly uh, took up a lot of those um, those same aspirations. Um, I think that uh, I also find uh, Rudolf Steiner inspiring and interesting in certain ways. I also have some um, challenges uh, with some of the things that he uh, writes about and uh, some parts of his worldview. 
I, um, I, I struggle with. So I think that um, for me, theosophy also because theosophy, I believe, just led to a lot more developments in the emergence of a spiritual culture in the United States and in the Western world in general, I think that theosophy still is like, it's it's it, it, it's very formative. And I think that another kind of period that uh, will come up often is what's called the occult revival, which is, you know, when, when tarot cards kind of uh, became very popular, uh, the sort of the, the formations of, of neo-paganism and witchcraft in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, there's a whole, a whole wave of, of a rediscovery of some of these things that uh, maybe are more associated with like a, a pagan past, Right, it's just one example. There's also the age of Aquarius, and there's a hippie generation, and there's the psychedelic movement, and and I think all these things do play a role. And I think that uh, when we're talking about spirituality today, you know, uh, some or all of those things probably um, have have some role, some some role to play in at least uh, shaping, if not maybe being an active part of uh, the people who would define themselves as spiritual. So when I'm saying spiritual and spirituality, I think it's uh, inclusive of all those things. But, um, you know, there's the, the the way to think about spirituality in terms of, you know, who would take on that label. There's also uh, the things we can think about in terms of what defines spirituality. So, for example, someone who's uh, deeply invested in astro- astrology, as an example, or someone who's invested in Reiki, for example. These are things that we would probably associate with spirituality, of course, meditation or um, having a lot of crystals or, you know, there, there, I, think, I think there's a pretty obvious sort of um, things that would come up in terms of uh, when we think about spirituality, what would that what would that um, be inclusive of? Um, so that's one part of it. And I think that all of those things are things that I, I anticipate and want to um, have this podcast spend a lot of time uh, talking about and thinking about. And I, I would love to speak to people who can have a, a really exciting and engaging conversation to cover all of that ground, because I think it's all it's all interconnected. But um, this podcast is about the intersections between spirituality and politics. So I don't want to get too far off the mark here. I want to kind of give some some clear uh, back background and context for at least how I approach this. Um, this particular topic and where I'm coming from and, and a little bit of what my uh, perspective and inspirations and, and influences might be as it, as it relates to looking at this topic. Uh, but I don't want to get too, too, too far away into these, uh, these, these far corners too early on. Um, I want to talk about the intersections and get kind of right uh, at the, the meat of um, what this podcast is really about. But I want to take one more little detour before we get there. And to me, um, that detour is kind of important because, well, we can talk about spirituality in terms of uh, practices and what people might do. Um, spirituality, uh, in my view, is sort of a, a way to get at um, some, some pretty fundamental questions about uh, what this reality is. For me, metaphysics is a bit more of a codified uh, codified. Um, way of approaching some of these kinds of uh, existential or philosophical questions. Uh, spirituality, I think, is a bit more nebulous and a bit more oriented around um, things that you might do, right? So meditation, for example, whereas metaphysics is uh, um, really getting into the, the nitty gritty and a bit more of a, of a, you know, it's not like science in a lot of ways, but there's a certain level of um, detail and scrutiny and, and wanting to come to things that can be defined, right? And that's sort of a, a characteristic of a lot of Western occultism and, and part of the reason why, um, you know, a lot of it is, uh, for me, very influential. Other parts of it, um, not so much. And um, they're the sort of the things that I take and the things that I think are really useful and valuable for me. And there's the other parts that um, I'm not as persuaded by. So I think I've been, um, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit between the politics and the spirituality. And I really want to kind of get to 
the real, the real, you know, the real driving force about um, this podcast. You know, why this podcast? Why make this podcast? And what do I mean when I talk about the intersections between politics and spirituality? I think I've I've spent a lot of time talking about spirituality for the most part, not as much about leftist politics and and. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to say there, uh, but I think that um, you know, I think it's it's pretty uh, apparent that that uh, my my grounding is 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 more comprehensively in in sort of spirituality and the history of spirituality, and uh, my participation in politics is um, you know is, is not as active, and 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 I wish that I could be more present. With some of those kinds of dilemmas in mind, I I've been very hesitant to start this podcast. I, I've been asking myself, uh, you know, what what makes me qualified? Why why should I be um, why should I be put my, putting myself out there, my voice? Um, have I done enough work to um, arrive at a, at a at a point of view that is is really worth sharing? And I think that um, I have, but uh, really just arriving there. So um, if you're listening to this in the future, um, please bear with me. I am uh, I'm just starting out. I'm really trying to find a way to express uh, a pretty complicated uh, set of ideas, how they relate to each other, and uh, try not to alienate um, too many people and alienate the people that I do want to alienate because there's some people that I really um, I find very disagreeable. I think that uh, I have some some arguments that I would bring forwards, and uh, some people that I I would like to debate, you know, and express to them why I believe that their their perspectives are are incorrect, or wrong, or or wrong headed, or misguided, right? So um, it was a bit of both uh, of trying to kind of um, find my way in 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 uh, what can be a very a very um, antagonizing and antagonistic, polarized world uh, of, of viewpoints that are incompatible. And, um, you know, I'm definitely entering into the fray here a little bit because, um, you know, I, I, I have reasons, reasons to, to, to be a, a sort of a little bit, um, you know, pushing at some things, both with people who are spiritual and people who are political. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a looking to find the unity, but there's also, uh, a lot of things that I, that I find kind of troubling. So uh, let me just kind of um, kind of bounce back and forth a little bit, because I think that uh, when I'm talking about intersections, this is really kind of getting into the, the intersection part. Like, you know, where are the overlaps or where are there? Where are there not overlaps? And so when I think about um, my look, looking at sort of leftist politics more generally, and I think that is inclusive of socialism and, and also other kind of tendencies and threads like anarchism, and um, other isms, I guess there's some some communists out there and, and what have you. But um, you know, I think that uh, you know there's different different parts of the sort of leftist project, and um, you know, in general, I think there's just a real uh, dismissal and a, uh, a, um, a shutting down of conversations that uh, become too spiritual. And I think that's really, as I said before, I think it's really unfortunate. And I think that um, there's some really good arguments for why that should change. Um, but I, I don't really want to get too deep in them right now, just because it, it's sort of teasing out the, the, the aspirations and the goal. I don't really want to um, really kind of be rhetorically precise at this point, because I think there's time. Um, there's time to get more specific. Um, I think if I had to kind of summarize, though, because I don't want to just sort of say that and not fill it in with, with anything. If I could summarize, I would say that my personal take on this, my perspective, is that we uh, we do in fact live in a world that is very spiritual, and it is very much uh, a creation of sort of um, metaphysical ideas, at least the way that I see it. And um, I think that, that 
embracing that, um, I think is, um, an incredibly powerful tool to help bring about, I think a better world. And I believe that, um, in its best moments, that is really, uh, what sort of a leftist project is about. You know, we should live in a world where, um, everyday people are, are cared about. We should live in a world where people are not shackled to their employment. We should live in a world where, uh, capitalism doesn't exploit people in the way that it does today. We should live in a world that is a bit more equal or a little bit more just or more fair, or, uh, you know, maybe just let's tackle climate change you know, uh, and figure out which one can, uh, can happen first. Uh, and, and, and of course there's different views there. Right. So I think that, um, there, there's a fundamentally good and, and, and loving and caring, um, ethos, I believe that, that, uh, is what would make you want to be a leftist in the first place. There's also clearly a lot besides a lot of animosity, but I think that, uh, you know, fundamentally focusing on, on what, what is persuasive about a leftist politics. I think that it, it comes down to, you know, we want to live in a better, a kinder, more caring world. And I think that, um, recognizing and embracing some of the the perspectives and some of the ideas that come from spirituality, to me, not only are um, an accurate representation of the world that we live in, and of course, I'll I'll back that up and justify it um, as we go along here, I think that that, that not only is that the case, but also there are a lot of um, potentials for um, genuine transformation and growth that come from from embracing this. And I don't think that there's really anything to lose. And I think there's a lot to gain. And um, a lot of a lot of that thing, the thing that would be gained is really just um, keeping it just couched in in some really kind of conventional language. It's 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 imagination. Right. I think that really being able to imagine what's possible. Some of that comes from spirituality in different ways, uh, whether it's dreams or visions or simply being visionary in the first place, really imagining something different for the future. I think there's a real, uh, an unlocking and a transformation and, and uh, a capacity to see differently that um, to me is, is deeply stimulated and uh, often uh, defined by spirituality. So I'll get get more into what I mean by that, but I just wanted to kind of say that it's really um, a shift in consciousness and a change in, in how you might approach things that I think is made possible by these tools, techniques, ways of being, perspective, etc. And I think it has a lot to contribute to um, sort of the project of, of making a, a, you know, a society that works for everyone. And I think that that is, uh, that's, that's when I think of socialism, that's really, that's really what I keep coming back to, you know, trying to make a society that works for everyone and, and really, you know, hashing that out in a real way, you know, uh, that it's not sort of so sophistic or, or whatever. It's, it's really genuine. Like, how do we do that really? Um, so, so by the same token, I think in, in spirituality, um, I think there's a, there's a pretty, um, you know, and I think that it's, it's, it's driven by capitalism. It's, it's derived from capitalism. It, it's sort of, um, forced upon people because of capitalism, but there's a pretty clear kind of embrace of, um, you know, sort of the hustle and, um, you know, a lot of spirituality can, uh, justifiably feel very exploitative and predatory. And I think there's a lot of selling things, right. And, and of course, well, you're selling things because you want to survive. And in some instances, you even want to do more than that. You want to be wealthy yourself. And so I think that there's plenty to say, uh, uh negatively about things, uh, like for example, the secret or what is conventionally called, uh, the prosperity gospel. And I think the, the, the place where I, I kind of fall away from a lot of the critics is that um, I personally uh, believe in um, the sort of what we call the law of attraction. I just think that um, the way that you uh, interpret that and, and what you do with it, um, that does make a difference, right? So 
um, the sort of a prosperity gospel, which says that, uh, you know, you can, you can be rich like the billionaires, right? I mean, I think that as a socialist, there's some pretty obvious reasons why that is, uh, is a sort of an odious goal. Um, and from that, you know, one response just is to say, uh, oh, well, this whole thing is preposterous. Um, and, and, and why would you even think to believe that, that, that you live in a universe that, that it would be so responsive to such um, shallow or, or selfish uh, aspirations. And I think that um, I can understand uh, on a superficial level why that might be a response, but I think that it's uh, it's not true. I think it's wrong. I think that we live in a universe that actually is very responsive to our consciousness. And, and, and I think that um, while it doesn't quite hit the mark for me, um, something very similar to uh, what we call the law of attraction, I do think is something that I notice in my life and is something that I've seen written about and I've heard many people talk about um, in, in podcasts and in reading books and in talking to people about their own personal lives beyond just uh, experiencing this very directly uh, in many ways. I do think that the, the universe is is alive and aware and consciousness is, is fundamental and, and, and everywhere, right? And, and so uh, with that in mind, the idea that the universe would be responsive um, is sort of um, self-evident, right? I mean, of course it would be. Why wouldn't it? So I think that um, that pretty much does it. I think that uh, I sort of feel like I've, I've laid out the, the sort of basic ideas I want to kind of um, wrap up, though, with really kind of getting at, okay, so I've talked about spirituality, I've talked about politics, I've talked about different kinds of threads, I've talked about how spirituality is different than, um, you know, sort of conventional uh, uh, sort of reality-defining systems of, of, of thought that, that we probably are, are, are familiar with or grew up around in some form. But really, you know, what's the deal with this uh, intersection thing, really, right? I think that there's, uh, and I think that's something that I, I'm also, um, I'm trying to answer that that question for myself. What does it mean? Because I know that I have some things that I'd like to uh, express and, and converse about with people who identify or are more active in, in sort of everyday political struggles. And there's also some things that I want to ask and converse with um with people who um, are more involved in, in sort of the spiritual world. I also can't close this episode without mentioning Marianne Williamson, right? Uh, someone who I, I really do look up to. I think that uh, I'm not Christian. And so for me, that can be a little bit of a barrier because uh, she is Christian. Um, but I think that her her um, her values and her principles are, are very are very uh, compelling. I, I've met her in person, and I think she's a really uh, wonderful presence. And um, you know, I uh, I don't know that she really had a shot at the um, the presidential run, but I think that she brought some some really wonderful ideas and 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 and, and took a lot of hits. Um, in many cases, I think really unfairly, and I think she was sort of um, tarnished by a lot of people and, and not really given a chance. Uh, but but when I when I saw her at the podium when when she was still in the debates, I think she really had some extremely strong points. And and I think that um, I I've not read a huge amount of her books, but I, I have a few that I'm that I'm working through. And I think she really um, you know encapsulates a very sort of a universalist perspective on on, on some of these kinds of themes, and and, and is absolutely you know in, in the realm between politics and spirituality. And, and so is uh, someone I look to as inspiration. Um, I don't think that we um, share everything in common, but I think that um, she's she's really doing something in a way that I really respect. And so I just wanted to kind of mention that. Um, 
we're talking about politics and spirituality, Marianne Williamson is, is probably one of the few people out there who I think really is very active in, in, in both both those categories and uh, continues to to do that and to really um, speak up for, for a lot of things that I believe in. I also want to uh, mention my, uh, my favorite podcast, my inspiration against everyone with uh, Connor Habib. Um, a lot of the reason why I'm making this podcast is, is in part because over the last few years, this podcast in particular has been a really big part of my life. And so, um, Connor, if you ever listen to this episode, uh, thank you so much. Um, this podcast exists in so many ways because of um, your voice. And I uh, just wanted to kind of uh, put that out there in the end. And, 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 and you know, Connor, um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to his podcast, is, is a, a really wonderful podcaster. And, and I haven't met him in person, but appears to be a really wonderful person as well. Um, he's really been uh, looking at politics and spirituality and going back and forth in a way that I think um, really not a lot of people do. And so um, I found my way to, you know, th- these two worlds um, long before I found other people who were really doing that work. And, and so as I've, as I've kind of um, looked around and looked around and tried to find people who see politics and spirituality as being um, inextricably linked, you know, the, the people that do show up who really are, are doing that work of, of connecting um, I find I find really um, really persuasive. Of course, I just want to kind of reiterate that again. You know, uh, a lot of Native people who are active. You know, like Winona LaDuke, for example. Um, you know, a lot of people who are doing that kind of work. They, there is a spirituality already there, and so I, I don't want to kind of um, I don't want to gloss over things as if I um, I'm not I'm not aware of them. I just think there's there's sort of a, a particular focus here that um, I'm working on figuring out. Anyway. Thank you for uh, listening this far. I hope I was not uh, too too long-winded or boring or, uh, you know, I guess if you uh, thought I was boring, I you wouldn't be hearing me say this at all. So, um, you know, hopefully there's something, something of value. And I really hope to uh, continue this, to keep going. Uh, and to, you know, of course, get more concise, more exciting, and um, really hear from uh, anyone who's listening. You know, uh, I'm doing this for, for you, whoever is out there who is hearing my voice right now. Look, I, I, can, I can hear myself talk. I can rant to the, the people that I have in my personal life. Uh, there's many conversations uh, around these subjects that I've already had. Um, and that's not why I'm doing this here. I'm doing this because I really want to engage with um, with people out in the world. And, and, and really, uh, so any kind of genuine feedback about any of this, you know, I think it's really important to me. And that's really what it's about. It's about being in dialogue. Um, you know, that being said, I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I got my, my foot in the sand with certain things. There's some things that I'm, I'm ready to argue about and, and I'm ready to argue, you know, so, so I'm happy and I embrace that. I recognize that where I'm coming from is um, atypical uh, in a lot of ways. And it, uh, in my view, should not be atypical, but um, it would be uh, kind of absurd to, to think otherwise. So um, I'm, really, I'm really receptive. I really want to hear um, what anyone thinks about what I have to say. And, um, you know, it helps me be more clear about why it is that I represent what I do, why I say what I do, and um, why I look to what I look to as um, sources of inspiration and um, to answer these kinds of uh, proverbial questions, which um, feel a, a particularly significant, given that we are uh, living through some, some um, catalytic uh, times full of upheaval. I think um, there is room to, to uh, answer the same questions in new ways. And I, I think that um, the pathway that I'm, I'm describing here is, is, um, can go a long ways to getting there. But um, 
there's a little bit of faith, you know, a little bit of faith. And, uh, you know, it may not be for everyone, but, um, if you're willing to, um, you know, take a journey, um, I think that there's a journey here. So, uh, it is, uh, getting on in, in, in the, the length. Uh, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably end it here and, um, yeah, until next time. Okay. Thanks for listening.